Hey everyone, I'm Taylor, and this is Rediscipleship, a podcast exploring what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. After years of following Jesus, I'm convinced that his invitation to the abundant life wasn't just a catchy slogan, but the true home for a weary traveler. On this podcast, we will seek to undo the discipleship of our culture, exposing the ways we've allowed and even participated in our own malformation. Being rediscipled in the way of Jesus is the lifelong invitation of the cross, but thankfully, you're not on the journey alone. Here we go. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Rediscipleship. Thanks for sticking with us. Like our previous episodes, this one is meant to be a sequel to the Nav Night teaching for the Navigators at Miami University on April 8th, 2021. And if you haven't checked that out, you can find it on our YouTube channel. Just search the Navigators at Miami University. As we've moved through this semester, we've been exploring the topics of technology and emotional and mental health, and now time and priority management. And if any of these wouldn't make a top 10 discipleship topics list for you, you're not alone. But their effect on our discipleship to Jesus is far more covert than we realize, and yet still very present. They're significant sources of malformation that followers of Jesus must grow to understand. For this conversation, we'll be talking with Artie Kuhn, who is a professor at Miami University in the Emerging Technologies and Business Design Department. Sorry, Miami, that's a mouthful. (laughs) In our conversation about time and priority management, he uses his understanding of design to help us consider what it means to live within the constraints of our own design as human beings. This conversation was seriously a blast to have. Artie's a super fun dude, and it was great to talk to him for a while. And it sparked a lot of new ideas in my own mind about how I view time and where it goes in my schedule. So to kick things off, here's Sarah to help us get to know Artie. Yeah, like Taylor said, I'm Sarah Smoke. I'm on the staff team of the Navigators at Miami University, and it's my pleasure to get to introduce uh, Artie Kuhn to you today. So Artie, um, I'll start by asking you just like a general getting to know you question. How do you describe yourself to other people when you need to do it? Um, And what's most important for our listeners to know about you? Oh my word, Sarah, I am a multifactored, complicated person, so I don't know if we can get that done quickly. this is our whole podcast now. It's just our yeah, intro sure, himself. sure. It's just just the intro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so my, like you said, my name is Artie. Um, I am a professor. Um, I teach design and programming courses. Um, uh, relevant to this podcast, but not in all conversations, is um, I've uh, started following Jesus at the end of high school through an organization called Young Life. And then um, I was mentored through the navigators at University of Cincinnati through a couple different nav staff people and some volunteers through college and early professional life. Um, I spent probably the first 10 years of my professional career in industry working on things as diverse as Pokemon toys and Grader's ice cream websites and all that kind of stuff. And then um, along the way, Um, One of my mentors in undergrad was this guy named Evan Griffin, and um, Evan was on NAV staff part-time, but also taught at the university that I was an undergrad at, and um, what I saw modeled there was like this kind of bivocational 
type of lifestyle thing that I thought was really cool. And so um, I transitioned kind of in vain of that. I kind of transitioned to um, teaching full time about 10 years ago. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I'm married. My wife, Lisa, is, I mean, my biggest piece of advice for guys is to marry, like, marry up. Like, she's so outside of my league, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> she uh, was also trained in designer, um, has been a designer, a consultant, uh, a pastor, and now does digital content management for a large church. Um, and we have three kids, two dogs, a guinea pig, a leopard gecko. My daughter really wants a cat, but that's not going to happen. Um, that's kind of, we probably will cause I'm a sucker, but <laughs> that's, that's about it. Uh, and relevant to this conversation, I've mentioned this to Taylor. It's hilarious that I'm having this conversation because like my default state is horrible at time management, right? Like I look at what I was like in high school and college and it was one of those things like if I hadn't figured this stuff out by just by sheer brute force and bash my head against the wall enough times I would never become a, a productive member of society like it yeah. just was critical <laughs> for me to figure this stuff out because it doesn't come naturally to me and so it's kind of like for some people I think talking about time management is like asking a fish to describe water for me like it is not that at all like it is just so unnatural but it's critical does that make sense yeah that makes perfect sense I think I, think I answered your question. Oh, right? no, you absolutely did. Okay. That's, just, that's just my weird phrasing of the whole, like, what do you do as a job sure, sort of sure, thing? Because sure. I hate asking that question sure, that way. because we're more for... than that. Yep, I get it. Exactly. So, uh, another question. I think this one will be fun. What's a misconception people have about you? Oh, man. A misconception people have about me. Um... Well, okay, I'll tell you a funny story because that's how I usually answer these questions. Um, a couple years ago, uh, okay, so during summer, like the professor lifestyle and during summer is a real downshift from the normal school year lifestyle. And my particular position is even more of a downshift because I don't have to worry about research and things like that, which a lot of my colleagues do. And so summers are just my chance to just let loose, man. And so... A couple of years ago, we're at the hospital with my kid for something. I don't know what, you know, you're with the kids. You're always at the hospital for something random. And so we're at the hospital and, you know, uh, I'm there with the kid and my wife and we're doing the thing and they keep the hospital keeps on sending in different social workers to talk to me specifically, not the kids or anything. And I'm like, what is going on? And they keep on offering me like gift cards and things like this. I need money for gas, whatever. And, um, I find my wife, I'm like, what is going on? She's, she's like, you look like a homeless person. That's why <laughs> they're coming in talking to you like this. Like you haven't, like you haven't shaved in weeks and, uh, you know, you're wearing a ripped up t-shirt or whatever. And so finally a person comes in and I'm like, Hey man, I appreciate that you're trying to help, but like, I have a job and a professor or whatever. And they were like flabbergasted. So I don't know. I guess that's an example of somebody having a misconception about just like a real there. hard downshift in the summer is what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Showering's optional. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. Misconception too from students. The professors don't have lives, right? Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Um, and I'll say for this last one, feel free to answer like more generally or very specifically if you want to, 
How has God shown himself to be bigger than your doubts? My doubts? Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, all the time. Um, a lot, frequently. Um, I think that for me, um, I tend to dream too small rather than too big and seeing him show up in bigger ways than I was expecting, whether it be career or life or whatever, has been a reoccurring theme for me over the decades has been, oh, I thought that it was going to be this, but really I was just, I was thinking far too small. And when you're in the middle of that, it feels like the thing that you thought was so dear, your precious is getting ripped away. But really, once you have a little bit more perspective, you realize, oh no, uh, that was getting taken away to get something even bigger and better. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for that. Uh, I'll hand it off to Taylor now to get into the conversation about time and priority management. Yeah. Thanks. So I, I'm excited about this. I think all of our all of our topics this semester, um, I'm sure there are people who are kind of scratching their heads a little bit of like, why is this connected to discipleship? Like it, it, they're not generally the topics that we would engage around a conversation about discipleship specifically. And as we've said in other episodes, and even in the, this like season one intro, I think part of it is that discipleship is maybe more than just the intellectual or like the educational kind of perspective that we often put towards it. It's not just like sitting and learning and like Jesus at the chalkboard kind of idea. It's, it really, it's a way of life. And because of that, there is all of our life is about our discipleship and affects our discipleship and ability to follow Jesus. And so um, that's that's why we're landing on this topic of time priority management because how we structure our life and how we manage our priorities is an essential conversation, I think, in, in this topic of discipleship and following Jesus. And so as I've done uh, in all of these other episodes too, Artie, I just wanted to begin by maybe just hearing how you have uh, grown to think about discipleship just in general um, before we specifically land in this conversation on time and priority management, but just how, how you as a follower of Jesus have kind of developed your own thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be discipled to Jesus. Um, as some people have recently been saying, how we've uh, entered into a process of apprenticeship to Jesus. And so just would love to maybe start the conversation there with your thoughts. Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes that I have found myself coming back to again and again is by this guy, Dallas Willard, which I'm sure that I know Taylor, you know, um, and Sarah's snapping for those of you who can't see the Zoom call um, that, uh, you know, Dallas Willard's awesome, awesome dude. And I'd encourage your folks to check him out, but or was an awesome dude. Um, and his definition of discipleship is pretty lengthy, but I have it right. I, I have it right here and it concludes with disciples are simply are, disciples simply are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus and i think that's probably as plain jane vanilla definition as i think that we could get at right it's not about knowing a bunch of stuff it's not about memorizing this or that it's not about showing up to the right meetings um, it's not about writing wearing the right t-shirts with the right clever saying on them or saying the magic words to people when they're talking about or thinking about faith it's just simply revising our affairs to follow through on that decision you know and i often think that it's 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 relatively easy to believe the things that jesus believed but it is really hard to do the things that jesus did 
And I think he cares way less about us agreeing with him and mm. way more about us doing the things that he would do in our contexts. And mm. so I think that's what Willard's definition is getting at. Yeah. Do you think that that's, uh, I'm just thinking and as you're responding to that and Jesus is the greatest, uh, the, the great commission that we often talk about where Jesus teach saying, you know, make disciples and teaching them to obey all of the things that I've commanded and taught you. Like is, um, have we missed that a little bit maybe in the, in the church or Christian circles of like the difference between teaching somebody to obey versus just teaching them what he said versus like, is that a little bit what you're getting at? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's way easier. It's way easier to say, believe these things, show up to this thing, vote this way, look that way, wear this outfit, have this thing. It's way easier to say all that because it's a very, it's checkboxes, right? Mm. Um, it's way harder to live in the way that Jesus would want you to live. It's, it's, it's fuzzier. Like I think about parenting and like, certainly part of me wants my kids to obey the rules that we have established, right? Like very clearly don't walk in street. Like, so that's, that's similar to like show up to this thing or it's very checkboxy, right? But like me wanting them to behave in the way that our family would behave is in, it's impossible to make a list of all the possible permutations of what that means, right? And so instead, I would hope that they're embodying and internalizing, internalizing and then embodying the values that we have as a family that hopefully is modeled after Jesus's values in the infinite number of contexts that they're going to be living their lives as they move forward, right? So like I said, I started following Jesus re relatively late, but like as an adult-ish type person. So I don't know what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in third grade. Right. Like, I don't know what that looks like, but I, I sure hope that my daughter is embodying that because we're instilling that inside of them. And I think the same thing is what Jesus is hoping for with his children, with all of us, which is, yeah, yeah. Don't jump in the street. Don't do these very clear, bad things. You know, the top 10 lists that you got, like, don't murder people. Don't like that kind of stuff. But, at, but beyond that, embody the values that I would have mm. in the place that you're at. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, so my oldest son, Elliot is six right now. And I, similar to you, I came to uh, fo start following Jesus when I was a junior in high school. And so I don't know what it looks like for a six-year-old to have some kind of faith in Jesus. And honestly, for me, like Elliot has professed that faith and belief and was baptized. And for me, that was a really weird experience. It's like, can, can he? you know, can he be genuine about these things? That's a whole other conversation podcast probably, but I, um, I appreciate your thought of like, well, I don't, it's hard to know what being a disciple, um, in a stage that you haven't experienced being a disciple, um, it, what that's supposed to look like, I think. And so that's a, that's a value maybe for this podcast to bring in other voices that have experienced that process, um, or a living that process in other places. And I appreciate your, uh, perspective is somebody who's still working with college students. Cause I think of all of the people that have listened to this so far, like that's a majority for sure. And so I, I'm wondering from your perspective, like what, um, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing or the narratives that you're seeing that are maybe most, um, endangering this process of discipleship for where college students are? 
considering like what discipleship and that kind of season of life looks like, what, what are the challenges that you're seeing kind of in that context? I think in some ways, um, college students are the tip of the spear of the challenges that that normals are going to experience five, 10 years later, right? Like um, it's that kind of 18 to 30-year-old zone is where culture is created and where the rest of us are then going to live after that culture has been created, right? So you know, I'm a designer by training, so that kind of stuff is how I think. Um, and so I think the challenge that they have is still the same challenge that everybody has. So, like, it makes me think of Romans 12, 1 through 3, right? Where it's n- everybody likes to end at 12, 2, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, that's the passage where it's like, do not conform to the pattern of this world and, you know, sacrifice, like, be the living sacrifice, that kind of stuff. But um, 12.3 is like this part where it's like, and consider yourself with sober judgment. It's like, I think those are the things that that college students probably struggle with was one, if you're going to try to embody Jesus in that context, it just like every other context, it's going to look different than everybody else. Like you're swimming against the current a little bit, but then also consider yourself with sober judgment. I think that um, like, a lot of times I see people that want to do all the things and they don't realize that I can't do all the things. I am not wired to do all the things. There's some things that I can't do that's just, I'm just not able. Um, there's some things I can't do because I don't have time. There's some things I can't do because Jesus wouldn't be very proud of that. Like there's lots of different can't do's that I think that is something to consider. And like, I think it gets down to I mean, not to get too much into the designery world, but like I've heard it said that design at its at its simplest form is just understanding the priorities and constraints of a project, right? So what really matters and what can't we do? Like if you understand those two things, then that then the rest of it just flows out of that very naturally. And I think when I think about the top subject that we're talking about today, um, I think it comes down to that stuff too. It's just like, hey, what are your actual priorities? Um, and what are your, consider yourself a sober judgment. What are your actual constraints, right? So your priorities would be the stuff from 12, 1 and 2, and your constraints would be the stuff from 12, 3, like if we're doing a little Navigator's Bible study here. Like that's how I would think about it, right? Is Yeah. Um, and dealing with those things and dealing with the re- very real ramifications of what those two things mean in again, back to my def- definition of discipleship that I stole from Willard in trying to carry through on a decision to follow Jesus. Mm. Yeah, it seems like there's a connection. I mean, I actually really love that connection to the, the design world and some of the language you're bringing into this because um, it seems like if we were to look at ourselves as as human beings who have a particular design as a created being by God, then, then there are... Um, then we would assume, yeah, there are priorities for us as individuals or as humanity to be living out. And there would be understandably constraints to what we are able to do as finite created beings. And so if we are um, either uh, pressing towards priorities that are not actually priorities for our humanity or for us as individuals, um, because we're not all the same, or if we are uh, living outside kind of the, or trying to live outside the bounds of our design and our limitations, 
then that is going to create friction. And I, like I've heard, uh, heard some teachers talk about living living the good life. Like if you look at Proverbs and some of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, the to live with wisdom and to live the good life that's being portrayed there is to live kind of along the grain of the universe and the way that God created it. And if you're going to live outside of wisdom as like Proverbs would talk about it, then you really you're like disregarding reality. Like you're disregarding the fact that all of life has a creator and has a way that it is meant to work. And if you're not willing to kind of live in line with that and want to do your own thing, that's really going to cause friction um, for you and for life. And so I think I really appreciate you pulling in some of that design language too, because I think that really fits this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think related to that, we all have, we all have some basic needs that have to be met, right? Like, I don't care who you are. Everybody I always talk to says like, okay, you need to sleep eight hours. You just do, right? And everyone I've ever talked to, like, sure, there's, I'm sure there's variation in that, right? But like everyone I've ever talked to about like that kind of thing, I'll often hear people say like, well, some people, very few people don't need eight hours. Like some people are wired in this wackadoodle way and they don't need exactly eight hours and they can get by on five. And you know who the people that are always telling me that? It's the people that are getting five and are having heart attacks, right? Like, yeah. so you need eight, you just, that, sorry, dude, that might be true, but that ain't you. And so, um, like you need eight hours. And so if you're going to, and you've only got 24. And so you can't have a great relationship with your girlfriend and get A's in every single one of your classes and disciple three dudes and go to all of the navigators and the crew and the and the church and the whatever. You can't go to all the, it's, and stay on top of the latest Game of Thrones episode and listen to eight podcasts and read the new book on Paul by N.T. Wright. Like you can't do all those things. Like it, it's not possible. And so stop trying. Uh, I guess like just stop. Like Jesus said, like his burden is easy and his yoke or his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so if it's not feeling light, then it, it might not be from him. Like that should be a giant red flag. Yeah. Totally. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think there's a, there's a, uh, a commentator over that Matthew 11 passage that he was like, you know, Jesus is talking to all these weary and uh, worn out people. And he's like, why doesn't he offer him a mattress? Like, don't they need a nap? Like you would think that that would be the logical follow-up to like saying, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. And so here's like just some space, lay down, take a nap. He's like, no, he gives him another instrument for work. Like he gives him a yoke. And, but he says that like his yoke is different. And I think that in reading what this commentator had to say about it, it, it was, it's because he's reorienting us to the way that we are meant to live life. It's not that we need to escape from the demands of life and the priorities of it and how we were meant to spend our time. It's that we need to have Jesus's perspective and way of carrying life and carrying the demands and carrying the responsibilities of life so that we aren't just exhausted and burned out, which is what I think the world offers to us is be more productive, be more efficient and try to do more in that space, sleep less, et cetera. And that, that just runs us into the ground. That's not the design that we are meant to have. And I think the practice of like looking at the old Testament and the rhythm of Sabbath is a really clear picture of, of that, that we see scripturally. It's like this 
idea of rest and rhythm is built into creation even. And so there's something for us to certainly pay attention to there. So, I mean, we're already definitely steering this direction, but like, I want to turn it specifically towards time priority management. And I spoke uh, last week at our kind of large group meeting about how I, I really see this as um, at its core, like love and desire management, that this is really about uh, we will do and fill our time with what we love and the things that we care about most. And so um, so there's, I think, an intertwining between those two things. But I would love to maybe really specifically open this conversation, Diardi, and hear what your thoughts are on time priority management. As somebody who you said self-defined Enneagram 7 and maybe has a, a rough go at this to be, or learned learned uh, healthfulness in this area. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to like turn I'm, us towards that. I'm li- literally, Taylor, not once but twice the guy who's speeding down at 120 miles per hour down the highway with his, uh, with his letter to the um, tax, you know, he's got my taxes in a letter because my local post office is closed and it's due right now. And I Googled, oh, there's one post office 40 miles from me that still will take it. And I got 35 minutes to get there. Like I'm literally that guy, right? So like I am... I am speaking from a person in recovery, right? Not somebody that's got it all figured out. Um, like, I think um, to your point, there's a couple things I would say. First of all, um, you know, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And it sticks out like a, thor- a sore thumb in that list. It's like love, joy, peace, patience, blah, 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 blah. Self-control. Like, if that doesn't fit, why does that fit? And I think... I actually read a study on this about a decade ago that, um, that, okay, we often think wrongly, I think we think wrongly that self-control is this, um, <clears throat> this finite resource. Like I only have so much self-control. And if I, if I, when I run out, that's when I need to go get my pint of ice cream and watch Netflix. Like that's the, like that we have a finite resource of self-control. But this study and kind of more recent research into self-control and willpower shows that it's that self-control and willpower is more like an emotion in the same way that you don't run out of anger. You don't run out of happiness. Like it's this ebb and flow thing. And so when you think about self-control in the fruits of the spirit list, it makes way more sense where it's something that's like of the heart versus like getting all aggro and Hulk and trying to force it to happen. Right. And, and so it just, it's an ebb and flow thing. And like, we have some fruit trees that we've planted out back in my house here. And those fruit trees are not grinding it out and trying so very hard to pop out a, an apple, right? Like they're in the right place. They're getting the right sun. They got the right resources. They got what they need. They're naturally going to produce fruit. If they're healthy, then they produce fruit. And so I'd say the same thing about self-control, which I think is important for when thinking about priorities, you know, priorities and time management and all that kind of stuff. Is like step zero is making sure that you're you got the right soil, you got the right sunlight, and and you're digging into the word in a way that self-control automatically, naturally will develop and flow. In the same way that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and all that other kind of stuff will naturally flow out of of that relationship. Does that? Am I connecting yeah. with you at all, Taylor? Oh, totally. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it sounds like 
um, not to affirm my own point, but it sounds like you're affirming my, the point that I made earlier about living in line, 100%. living in line with the universe in that the way that God has created things, that there is a, um, this is the blessed life of, of Psalm one, that there's a, a, you know, it's like your life is a tree planted by streams of water that it doesn't, doesn't worry when there's a drought, it's still bearing fruit. It's leaves are always green. And that's because, uh, in this person's life, their delight and their affection is inclined towards God's instruction and his ways and the way that the world is made. And I think that, um, so it sounds, and you referenced the word, and I think this idea of just a, a, this abiding relationship with Christ is, um, it, you know, is the foundation, is the soil, is the, the nourishment of all of these things. The presence of the spirit in our life is what produces these fruits of things. And so the communion that we have with Christ, um, which is our pathway of discipleship to him that um that seems to be essential so yeah yeah so like for me the resources that you need okay so if my fruit if my apple tree needs good dirt and needs good sun and good water the resources i think that we have at our disposal there's this book that i read called oikonomics a handful of years ago by this guy mike breen um from 3dm really great book um talks about these things that he outlines as the five capitals and um, if you haven't been in business, then you don't really totally grok what he means by capitals. But the idea of capitals is that these are valuable assets that can be invested in something, right? So if I'm a company, if I'm, um, if I'm GameStop and I'm trying to go, saw, go grow my business, then like some of the capitals I have are goodwill with my customers. Other capital might be I have a lot of physical locations that I own or manage, um, I have all these assets, all this product that is a capital. I have my overinflated stock value that's a capital that I can leverage, right? All those things are capitals that I can leverage in order to move my organization in a way that I want to go. And I would say in the same way, we all have capitals that if we get them properly aligned, and you can think of these as almost like cascading waterfalls where there's a pool and it cascades down to another pool and it cascades down to another pool. If these are different things that they're properly aligned and properly flowing into one another, then again, they'll just kind of naturally produce good fruit, right? So um, Breen would say the five cat, and I'll, I'll blitz through these and you tell me if you want me to slow down on anything. Um, five capitals would be first, and I'm going to do it in, in priority order from least important to most important, according to Breen. Sure. Um, uh, would be financial. So what's the, what's the cash on hand? What's the money that you got, right? Um, that's a capital. Intellectual capital. So what's the, your brain power? Are you growing? So you want to be thinking, can I grow these capitals so that I can spend them on the next level capital? So can I grow my financial capital in order to deploy it to improve the other capitals down the line? So, um, can I grow my intellectual capital, stretch my brain, you know, try new things, uh, read new books, think new thoughts, experience new beauty, all that sort of thing. Physical capital. So that means both your physical body, but also your physical time um, and the physical assets and presence that you have around you, right? So like your physical body does matter. Um, you know, we're not, we're not Gnostics or whatever. Like you, your physical body is, is tied to everything. Um, the your relational capital. So quality friendships, quality, you know, romantic relationships, quality family relationships, 
and then equality work relationships, and then spiritual capital. So can I, am I willing to invest time, money, and resources in growing my relationship with God? And these things, instead of thinking them as different slices of a pie, I think a better way of thinking about them is like these are different layers of a cake, right? Like you, there is no, this is just my spiritual time, and this is just my physical time, and this is just my intellectual time, right? Like they're all soup to get some mixing metaphors, food metaphors, um, but they're all layered a Cascading together. soup waterfall that yes, flows exactly. into yeah. a cake. Welcome to my world, of... Captain Metaphor. And so yeah. <laughs> like to me, I think recognizing that we have all these things and we shouldn't ignore any of them, that there are, they're all resources that are going to potentially fuel us. And if we get them in the right priority stack, then they make things better. So like a really practical, tangible example of this is, um, like in my budget that I keep an eye on for my finances, you know, some people would have like a line that's like gas, housing, whatever. I literally have like lines for each one of these capitals, right? So like I have like books capital, like I'm going to spend money on books from per, per, to grow intellectual. And if I don't, then I failed that month. Like I am going to do that, right? I have a line that's like dates with my wife. Like that is going to happen. I have a line that's like... Um, I forget the exact wording, but it's something along the, along the lines of like active family. So like if we're not spending money on, you know, going and playing tennis or doing physical things together, then at the end of the month, then I feel like I failed that budget line. Does that make sense? Like, and so, or another example is like, I will gladly pay some high school kid to mow my lawn so that on Saturday I can spend it with my kids. And so it's like I ha- I'm gladly lower financial capital in order to raise relational capital. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, that's really clear, practical when we think, especially about priorities and how do we prioritize certain things and knowing what values we have and that, that to prioritize something in our life because we're finite, then it, it means we're going to have to spend or give somewhere else. Like I've heard of the metaphor of like, if you if you're in a big swimming like above ground swimming pool and you poured a bunch of ping pong balls on the top and you're saying okay well what things can I like try to hold underwater and like really get a handle on like I can't I can't get everything I'm gonna have to choose some things to hold down and other things I'm just gonna have to let go and I think that like that seems to be what I'm drawn from what you're saying here is that there there are some things I'm gonna have to be willing to to spend some capital on so that I can experience some growth or benefit in other areas and knowing hundred uh, percent. Yes. Yeah. So our, well, one question. And, out and, of that and also given the season of life that you're in, yeah. you might have one of those capitals on fire. Mm-hmm. And so they, well, it might not be overall in the, if you take a step back 30,000 foot view of your entire life, it might not be something that you want to be a priority. Like your finances, for instance, you don't want to live for money, right? Like, you know, uh, you know, Matthew six has got a whole thing about that. Right. And so, um, you don't want to be totally, but if you're in debt up to your eyeballs, like that's, that's a finance and you're not, and you, and you lost your job. Well, like suddenly the financial capital is on fire. And so you do need to align everything to get that taken care of. Right. But to your point, like at some points we might be trying to push down different ping pong balls, but what I'm trying to get at is like at the end of the day, um, there's this guy named Clay Christensen who's a, a taught at Harvard and is a business guru guy and great, wrote some really interesting businessy books and 
But he talks about um, individuals and companies. The only way you can measure them is resources, processes, and values. Stuff they got, stuff they know how to do, and the values that they have. And then he defines values in a really interesting way, and I think this is really helpful. He defines values as simply things that you spend time and money on. That's it. A company can talk to their blue in the face about how we want to save whales, but if they're not deploying time or money at trying to save the whales, then they actually don't value trying to save the whales, right? And so same thing with us. Like if we want to be about things that Jesus was about, loving God and loving others, um, then it needs to be like, if you don't see that on your bank statement or see it in your calendar, then you should be questioning whether or not it is a value. Is that two point? Is that putting too fine a point on it? Taylor? No, I, well, I was going to try to drive us towards that fine point, but you did it a lot faster than I would have. So thank you for doing that. So I, yeah, I, I totally, I was going to ask like as Christians then, or as people who are seeking to be discipled by Jesus, are there overarching priorities for us? And I think you hit it when Jesus is teaching Matthew 22 is an example of this, where he's saying really all of the commandments of the law and the prophets can be summarized by saying you have to love the Lord, your God, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that like that as the foundational priorities for our life that then are going to undergird and help us to define where we're spending and where we're seeking to grow and in all these other categories of our life, um, those, if they are not the foundational priorities, we're going to have a really hard time. I think actually finding balance and finding fulfillment and, and experiencing the, the rest and the peace of a life following Christ. So how do we, I think attention of this is um, the practical side of like, I don't know how to budget my time uh, or I don't know how to like prioritize the daily tasks and responsibilities that I'm given, but I love Jesus. And I think I love other people too. Like it, it feels a little bit like there's kind of two ideological conversations about what apps do I need to like really keep my mind and my and my calendar and my to-do list in check and the conversation around my, the heart and like loving God and others like how how can we begin to like bring those together yeah cuz the world makes those in conflict with one another yes right so the world would say you need to like you need to optimize everything don't read a book read the summary of the book right <laughs> don't read like, or no, don't even read the summary of the book. Listen to the summary of the book on the podcast while you're on the treadmill, right? Like that's yes. what the world would say, like optimize, 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 optimize. And I look at Jesus and he was not very optimal, right? Like no. Jesus, Jesus didn't get started with his work until he's 30. Okay. Yeah. That's not very optimal. Like to all these college kids that are like trying to figure out what they're supposed to do with their life. Well, welcome to the party. Jesus didn't have it figured out maybe until he's 30, right? Like that's all yeah. right. Okay, <laughs> chill, relax, it's all right, okay? Um, he would, like, you know, sure, he got up early sometimes and prayed and stuff, but I'd imagine he slept in a lot too, right? And you look at, like, where he went and what he did and what he said, it was incredibly intentional, but not necessarily optimal, right? Like, he recruited 12 disciples. One of them was a dud. Like, he didn't optimize the 12, you know? Like, mm. you know, if, if, you're oh, trying to, if you're trying to optimize, if you believe the mission of Jesus was to die for sins, which I think that's way too small of a picture, but if you believe that was the whole point, like he, that could have been ended in like minute one, like in a manger, right? Like some soldier could have came along with a sword and put an end to that. Like, and so like clearly optimization is not the goal, 
And so, but the system, the world system is telling us optimization is. The world is also saying our hearts are this other thing that you need to tend to in this other way. And I think instead, you know, you, you alluded to the greatest commandment, but it literally says you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, which says like, hey, at minimum, you are made up of heart, soul, and strength, right? And so, and if you're going to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength, that means that you, taking care of your heart, soul, and strength also matters. And so, you know, it's a little bit of like when you're on the airplane and they tell you that if the oxygen masks fall off the ceiling, put it on, for, on yourself first before you put it on a kid. It's like a little bit of that where it's like, hey, you need to take care of yourself first so that you got the oxygen mask on so you can then tend to the kid. And same thing here. Like if you're going to love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, that's implying that you're loving yourself. Yes. Is that right? Totally. Yeah, I, I think that that's, and I, I've heard, um, especially when I was growing up, high school and early college years, I think I heard this hierarchy more. I don't know if I've heard students use it as much, but I think it's still out there and of like li- defining your priorities as, well, God is first and then others are second. Like clearly that's what Jesus is saying here, right? And then that means I'm third. And I, I, um, I don't think that's true <laughs> like, to flat out say it. Like, I don't think that it's a hierarchy of these priorities. I think that it is about uh, like to, to love and to follow Jesus is about a placement of allegiance and uh, a desire. And I think that to give allegiance um, of my loves and affections to God um, means that I'm allowing him to, to, um, permeate every part of my life, not in a hierarchical kind of way, but in, in a preeminent sort of way that he takes precedence in my marriage, uh, that there's a way that he desires for my marriage to look. And so he's there and he desires for the way my work to look. And so he's there and there's a desire that he wants me to engage with my neighbors. And so he's there. And so it's not like, well, I have to spend the morning in my quiet time. And then if my two-year-old wakes up early from sleep like jesus is it okay if i go away from my bible for a little while to care for my crying kid like am i done with priority one so i can move to priority two no like that's that's a i think that we need to like push back against the the hierarchy of those priorities there and recognize it's about affection and allegiance in those areas i feel like that's a, a a pull that i've been moved towards personally recently to think through that so um yeah, I, Ari, I want to give you kind of a concluding thought here to end this conversation. And then we, uh, for our next episode here, we're going to transition to, to hit some question and response from our students and then reflections even from this conversation moderated by Sarah. Um, but just to try to wrap this really awesome conversation, um, I would love to just give you kind of a final thought here. Yeah, I think um, to me, the, the core thing comes back to what we started at, which is, Disciples are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. And so, you know, it just comes back to that. Like, are we constantly revising our affairs? Not once, not twice. I put it on the calendar once, it's done. Like, constantly revising our affairs. Like you said, Taylor, I'm revising my affairs of I was planning on a quiet time, my kid's screaming. So I'm revising my affairs to follow through on my decision to follow Jesus. Um, and that we're just kind of in real time constantly doing that and being intentional about that. I think it's really easy to fall into one of two camps, which is one is really tightly clinging to the plan and sticking to the plan all the time. And then the other is 
screw the plan. I'm going to live my life and, and, and frolic in the woods. And I think that the way of Jesus is integrating those two extremes. Thanks for the time, Taylor. This has been fun for me. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ari. Yeah. Love having this conversation. Looking forward to following up with some more practical questions here with you, but uh, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Artie for joining us for this great conversation about our re-discipleship to Jesus. Thanks also to Sarah Smoke for editing and producing this podcast. Seriously, I am really glad I don't have to do that. You can join us in a few days when Artie, Sarah, and I dive into a question response to address some of your questions, ranging from how do you say no to how do you cultivate the right priorities for your life? And a lot of practical recommendations for resources, apps, and rhythms that have been personally helpful for us and can help bring your time under the apprenticeship of Jesus. So until next time.